ultimately was another tool for me to, to get through each and every pain and pain and pain and pain and pain and suffering.
Psalm 118, verses 22 through 24. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord. It is wondrous in our sight. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Good morning. Welcome to the West Irwin Church of Christ. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're so glad to have you. Uh, Hello to everybody joining us online. Um, A couple of announcements for you. And as I tell you these announcements, please fill out the attendance card in front of you. And also, I'll use this time to remind you that we have a wonderful app, and you can fill it out on there. If you open up the app, there's a place to fill out attendance and take sermon notes and all that stuff. Uh, But please be working on that, and we'll have some young guys come around in a little bit to to pick those up. Um, I have not seen him this morning, or else I would make him stained, but Sebastian Canfield was baptized on Wednesday, and so if you see Sebastian, give him a hug, give him a squeeze, and um, we are so, so proud. If you know Sebastian, you know how wonderful he is. If you don't know him, you need to get to know him. He's a, a really special young guy, and so we're very proud of his decision to be baptized. Uh, this evening will be our Sunday ref- Reflections class at 5 p.m. Uh, with Bill. And I was also told about this Saturday, February 10th, in the Family Life Center, it'll be at 5 p.m., is our Widow's Date Night, our annual Widow's Date Night. This is a special night uh, to honor you special ladies and to give some of our young guys an opportunity uh, to see how to treat a special lady. And so that is this Saturday, February 10th, at 5 p.m. in the Family Life Center. I've been asked to ask you guys, uh, any of you... Uh, widows at the end of service to please come forward uh, to the front after service is ended. We'll get a head count. Um, If you're not able to, uh, be looking for a phone call either today or tomorrow. If it's a robocaller, I apologize in advance, Um, but answer any calls you get, and uh, we're looking to get a head count for that today or tomorrow. So thank you. morning church they've told me not to touch this mic so it feels a little weird not standing up here and at least messing with something so but I'll try not to touch it they've electrocuted it so I won't touch it at all I promise so, there's only one announcement we need to add is Mary Jean Goodson is in the hospital dehydrated and so uh, that she may or may not have surgery later this week because of that so all the rest of our updates are in our handout or on our app if you'll refer to them as far as uh, everyone that is ill or grieving or, or whatever, that we can all pray for everyone here. So if you'll bow with me, let's pray. Dear God, we come before you as your church this morning to worship you, to praise you, to recognize you as the, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of everything, all-powerful, all-knowledgeable, and in existence for infinity, both behind us in time and looking forward. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, for all those who are on our list, who are sick. We pray that you will look over them and give your healing hand to them. We're praying especially for um, Stan Clark, that he continues to improve. He's had such a long battle with something that should have been such a fairly minor surgery. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, your healing hand on him and... uh, that you will continue to give him and Judy strength. We pray for all the rest of these that are on our list this morning, dear God, that you will look after them and know that comfort them and 
in that they know that we are praying for them and for successful healing for them so that they can return to us. We pray to our Heavenly Father for peace in this world. We see conflict um, rising throughout all different parts of the world, and it troubles us, dear God, because we want to live in peace, and we pray for peace. We know mankind has never sought peace, always seeks conflict and power and land and possessions and All of these conflicts now are no different than any of the past, but we pray to your Heavenly Father that there will be efforts extended to bring all these events back into a peaceful situation that we can worldwide live in peace and harmony. Dear God, we pray especially now for uh, all of our church, and especially those who are raising uh, young children. We look throughout this world and we see man's efforts throughout time from the Garden of Eden to the Golden Calf in the wilderness to the Tower of the Babel, um, so many efforts that man has always had to have a better plan, and we see that in existence in our society now to redefine what marriage is and to redefine what's a boy and what's a girl, and, and we understand, dear Heavenly Father, that this is all brought about by Satan and we cannot fall for Satan's traps and let us stand firm in your word and your, your uh, guidance towards us in our life of what is correct and what is proper and what is not. Because your word stands the test of time and all of these ideas that man has come across throughout all the ages have come and gone. All the men that came up with all these Ideas and schemes and plans throughout history are all dead, yet you continue to live. Your word continues to live. We pray to your Heavenly Father that we'll be students of, of your word. We will know what your word says. We will understand what your word says and your direction for us in life because that is the only meaning that we can have in existence on this planet is understanding your will and following it to the best of our ability because everything else in this world passes. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, that our standard answer for anyone who asks us, who do we follow, that our answer will be Jesus. As you have told us, if we confess your name in front of men, You will confess our name in front of your Father. And for that, dear Heavenly Father, is a very sobering thought. We pray that we will always stand firm in your word and in your will. Pray, dear Heavenly Father, as we worship you this morning, that we will do it in accordance to your will. Pray, dear Heavenly Father, that all of this will be to glorify you and not not each and each of us individually, but us as a whole, as a church. Pray to your Heavenly Father for strength going forward, for unity in our church. We'll pull together and help each other through this uh, difficult life and help each other avoid the traps that Satan has in front of all of us. We fail you, dear Heavenly Father, and we fail you often, and for that we're truly sorry. We pray that you will forgive us for that. In Jesus' name, amen.
Most of us as believers have listened and read about various descriptions of the pain and suffering that Jesus encountered on the cross. In fact, the word excruciating comes from a Roman word meaning from the cross. Though the most pain Jesus encountered, we believe, was the period of time that he was separated from his heavenly father to take on the sins of the world. We know as Christians that the most important thing is to observe the death, burial, and resurrection each first day of the week. However, I believe God's wisdom goes beyond that. Though this corporate ceremony is the cornerstone of our worship assembly, I believe God's intent was also to use this communion observation to teach others who may not understand why we do this and why we do this each first day of the week. This remembrance of the death, burial, and proclamation of the resurrection is the basis of our salvation, the birth of the gospel. Without the resurrection, there is no good news. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul explains to those who may have doubted that the resurrection took place and confirms through witness of others and himself and also warns it to fail to proclaim Christ crucified by those who preach and teach or missing the point. This is why we're here each Sunday. This is our mission. This is our task. Our concern and pity this side of the cross should be for those who do not accept the complete act of the greatest sacrifice ever made from our God who hates sin so much that he allowed his only son to suffer and die on our behalf, though we did not deserve it. Pray with me. Heavenly Fathers, we take this time to remember the greatest sacrifice made by our Lord and Savior. We consider the love you have for us and realize that We belong to you. As we focus on the image of the suffering body of Christ on the cross, we take this bread as a symbol of that body and what it means to us as Christians. May we partake of this emblem in a manner pleasing to you. And for it's your son's name we pray and amen.
Pray again with me, please. Heavenly Father, we take this time to consider the blood shed on the cross by your only Son and our Lord and Savior. The blood that continuously cleanses us and without which we are lost and hopeless creatures. We but scarcely understand why this was so freely given, though we did not and do not deserve it, nor can we ever repay. We know it is your love for us that allowed this to happen, and we are so grateful. As we partake of this fruit of the vine that symbolizes that precious blood, may we do so in a manner pleasing to you. For it's in your Son's name. Amen. Having concluded the communion service, we want to take this opportunity to give back a portion of what God has blessed us with. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've blessed us in so many ways, and we want to give back. We not only want to give of our monies, but we want to give by serving you, by teaching others, by serving others, by living according to your will. Bless us now as we give, as we prepared, and forgive us when we fail you. In the name of Jesus, and amen.
The title to the sermon can be taken a couple of ways. It could be connecting with the culture without deleting the what, as if the what is the point of the sermon, which is kind of true. But depending on how you make that statement and ask that question, it's more like this, connecting with the culture without deleting the what? And the answer to the what is what? Connecting with the culture without deleting the church. That's the title of the series we've been looking at over the last few weeks. Have a few weeks to go still. Connecting with the culture without deleting the church. Like a lot of other things, it seems, um, our culture and our experience tries to force us into uh, one of two choices, as if there is no other choice. You either connect with the culture and delete the church, or you connect with the church and delete the culture. And we've seen examples of that, of both of those extremes, uh, throughout our lives, and we certainly see them in our world today. And I, and I think that's Satan's plan, is to force us into a corner and say, this or that, which... And what Jesus does, he comes along and he says, nope, those are not the only options. And so as we've been going through this series and are looking at it today, we're talking about connecting with the culture without deleting the church. We've looked at Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. We've looked at the importance of Scripture as that firm foundation that Jesus is that we just sang about. And today we're going to see that he is also the foundation of the church. And it's savior, it's maker, it's builder. But does that mean we distance ourselves from the culture? As if they don't exist, they don't count, they don't have value. And unfortunately that, that is one of the criticisms of us church people. <laughs> That we're all about heaven, that we're all about the church, and that we turn our backs on the needs of our community and, and the situation that's going on all around us. And when you read the Gospels, and you look at the life of Christ, and when you read the book of Acts and the letters, and you see what was happening in those first few decades of the church, you realize nothing could be farther from the truth. In fact, that great passage in John 3.16 that everyone has memorized and loved so well, for God so loved the world, for God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's not that God loved truth so much that he said, you guys are on your own. Nor is it that God was so concerned for the world and the culture that he said, okay, truth is no big deal. But as Matt shared in our communion time, God took sin so seriously that he was willing to give his son. And so God connected with the culture in such a way that he did not delete the truth, he did not delete his word, and he did not delete the church. 
But in valuing the church, he also valued the culture. In fact, really the world and the culture is the whole reason Jesus came. Because of that part that's far away from God, to bring them near, to bring us near. And now he's called on us to do the same. (laughs) Now he's called on us to stand firmly with the truth as we have seen in the last few weeks. But also to reach out to the culture. And the way he has decided to do that, his plan, his methodology for that is called the church. It's you and me. Connecting with the culture without deleting the church. That is our calling and that is our challenge. But what is the church? That's a, that's a kind of a, a weird term for someone that doesn't know much about the Bible, doesn't know much about Jesus, doesn't know much about the church. And for some of us, we may have a little bit of a difficult time talking about that too. Most of the time, people in our culture, if you ask, talk about the church, they mean this facility, these facilities, this wonderful building that God has blessed us with, the plant, the physical plant. And granted, I think our culture has learned to talk about that in that way. I'm going to church, or I'll meet you at the church, or you go to that church that's downtown, right? That, that kind of thing. And, you know, that's okay. I don't think we have to go to the mat, as they say, for every little uh, uh, note that may not be exactly 100% correct, but that is, is not a big deal. Until it becomes one. And then we absolutely go there. But not every hill is worth dying on. And sometimes in order to build that relationship and connect with our culture. We can sort of file some of those things away for a later discussion. In order to get them to where we need them to come. To hear about that Savior. Connecting with the culture without the leading, the church. So, so what is the church? Well, as we make this transition from uh, talking about the truth, the way, the truth and the life, Jesus Christ, to ultimately getting to connecting with the culture, in the middle here is, okay, if we're talking about not deleting the church, what, what, what is that? What do we mean by that? And this week and next week, I want to speak specifically about the church. Today, answering the question, what is the church? And we can answer it in a lot of different ways, but I've chosen four today. First of all, the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. In 1 Timothy chapter 3. The pillar and ground of the truth, some versions say. And Paul, as he writes about God's church, as he's writing to a church leader, a preacher, an evangelist, a missionary, Timothy, his son in the faith. He's writing to him, Timothy at Ephesus, and he's talking about all the different things that are going on in the church. And so he says this in 1 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 14. Although I hope to come to you soon... 
I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And then he tells us what that truth is in verse 16. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. That's such a great summation, isn't it? Of the whole message of the New Testament. That's how 1 Corinthians 15 begins, that great resurrection chapter that Matt shared with us as we gathered around the table. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ affirmed by the appearances. Eyewitnesses saw him. They saw him killed and then they saw him buried and they saw him very much alive. The church is the pillar and foundation of that. The pillar and foundation of the truth. If I am delayed, verse 15, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. And we'll come back to that one. Which is the church of the living God. The pillar and foundation of the truth. That's what the church is. It's God's plan for the world to carry out His truth. We've spoken in the last few weeks about that great passage in Ephesians 4 verse 15 where Paul urges the church to be speaking the truth in love. And we talked about how all three of those are significant. Speaking the truth in love. We must speak. It must be the truth that we speak. And we must do that in love. And we've talked about that using a, a, couple, a few different terms. Clarity, conviction, and compassion. We speak with clarity. It must be the truth that we speak. That's our conviction. And we must do that in love. We must do that with compassion. Clarity, conviction, and compassion. That's the call that we have as members of Christ's church, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, John tells us. We can know the truth, and the truth shall set us free if we continue to obey his word, as he says in John 8. Well, what does it mean that the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth? And as I was thinking about this, I thought, well, wait a minute now. The pillar of the foundation, the pillar and the foundation of the truth, I was expecting him to say is this, the Bible, the Word of God. And would, would that be correct? Well, sure. Sure, it would be correct, but that's not what Paul says here. Paul says the pillar and foundation of the truth is actually not the Word of God, but it is that which carries and proclaims that word the pillar and foundation of the truth which is the word of God is the church it's us we are that pillar and foundation of the truth we are God's witness to the world he left that with us and ascended to the Father and empowered us with His Holy Spirit, empowered us with His written Word, and empowered us by placing us in a body of believers called the church. We don't have to be the pillar and foundation of the truth by ourselves. 
we do that together, arm in arm. The church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Secondly, the church is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. It's, it's read no better than in 1 Corinthians 12. There are lots of passages on your handout, including the one that's up here as well in Romans 12. But specifically, I want us to read from 1 Corinthians 12 this incredible passage that speaks about the interactions between people. And as I read these verses from 1 Corinthians 12, remember where he goes from here. <laughs> Anybody ever read or heard read 1 Corinthians 13? I could ask you if that part of that passage was read at your wedding, but I, I'm not going to do that. And it's wholly appropriate as he talks about what love is in 1 Corinthians 13. But actually, initially, he's telling it to the church. This is how you are to treat each other. And it's the natural follow-up to what he says about the church being the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. What a great statement that we'll come back to in a few moments. We were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Verse 14, even so the body is not made up of one part but of many. And that gives us some problems. You see, like our physical bodies have lots of different members with lots of different functions, the body of Christ, the church, has lots of different members with lots of different functions, with lots of different interests, and with lots of different skills. And that's a great thing because it enables the church to do its job, to be that witness. But it can also cause friction. And that's not a 21st century American church thing. That's exactly what he is addressing in 1 Corinthians 12. Now, he talks about that beginning in verse 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. All the members of the body are valuable and are a part of that body. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? In other words, if everyone was a preacher, where would, where would everything else get done that the church does? Which is a whole lot more than just what we're doing right now. What we're doing right now is absolutely essential and important. But it's not the only thing that the church does. Verse 18, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. By God's design, Paul says. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. So this is the other side of that coin. Remember earlier, he said, just because you're a certain part of the body with certain uh, goals and skills and tasks, 
and you don't have what someone else does, it doesn't mean that you're not a part of the body. Now he's saying, just because you have certain goals and tasks and interests and skills, you can't look down on someone that's a part of the body every bit as much as you are, even though they have different skills and different interests and different tasks. Verse 22, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. The church is the body of Christ. Much of what Paul writes to the Ephesians and the Colossians in those letters refer to the church as the body of Christ. So what does it mean that the church is the body of Christ? I come into the church just as I am and become a part of the body of Christ just as I am. And every single one of us, just as we are, is a valued and needed and important part of that body of Christ, the church. And I would even go so far as say necessary and essential part of that body of Christ, the church. One body but many members. The church is the body of Christ. Number three, the church is the family of believers. Again, we turn back to that passage in 1 Timothy 3 and read just one verse, verse 15. If I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The church is the family of believers. We are the household of God. Isn't that cool? Don't you think that's amazing? Isn't it a little bit frightening maybe (laughs) that God would look at us Not just this building, but at us. The people that form this church, whether you're watching online, here in person. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the pillar and foundation of the truth. The church is the family of believers. As Paul writes to the Thessalonian Christians, he mentions how their reputation goes far beyond themselves. It extends throughout all of the family of believers. The brothers and sisters in Christ, especially those near where they live in modern day Greece. When he writes to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 6, he talks about the household of faith, the family of believers. That's how God refers to the church, his household, his family. We are that family. We are that family of believers. The writer of Hebrews says it was so significant that Jesus considers us his brothers and sisters, making the huge point in Hebrews 2 that Jesus is not ashamed of us. 
in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of all of the times that we fail Him. Jesus is not ashamed to call us His brothers and sisters. The church is the family of believers. Well, what does it mean that the church is the family of believers? What does it mean that the church is the family of God? I think it means one thing especially, and that is relationship. We have relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and we have relationship with each other. He has placed us in His family together. (laughs) Together. You say, well, Bill, I'm not sure I like everybody in my family. Well, I'm not sure everybody likes you either. (laughs) But guess what? We love each other. You can't be everybody's best friend. Again, we're one part but many members. That means we like and enjoy different things, and that's okay. But we love each other. We're committed to each other. We have a stake in this family. And you can mess with a lot of things, but don't mess with my family. And that's how we should feel about each other. That's how we should feel about this church. The church is the family of believers. We need each other. We need that relationship. We need that encouragement. Why? Because as Eric shares in his bulletin article today, the world, the flesh, the enemy, Satan is doing everything he can to get at us. Wade shared some of the same things during our shepherd's prayer time. Satan is real and he does his job really, really well. And that's why we need each other in this family. We need to be concerned for our brothers and sisters just as they are for us. It's what God meant for the church to be. How sweet, how heavenly is the sight. When those that love the Lord and one another's peace delight and so fulfill The word. Why? Because the church is the family of believers. Finally today, the church is the saved. The church is the saved. This great passage in Acts 2, the first day of the church, when it was created, when it was instituted, when it began, what did that look like? Who made up that church at the very beginning? And who has made up that church ever since and makes it up even still today? Acts chapter 2, as Luke is recording the sermon of Peter on this day of Pentecost, in verse 36, Peter is beginning to wind down and he says, When the people heard that, therefore let all Israel be assured of this, Acts 2 verse 36, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? It had been less than two months since they had put him on the cross. And now Peter says, yes, that tomb is empty. Yes, he has ascended to the throne room of God. And God has pronounced him to be Lord and Christ, Messiah, Son of God. And it got to them and they said, what do we do? Good question. A question that Peter answers. 
Verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. That all who are far off, that's us, by the way. For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, verse 41, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. About 3,000 were added to their number. What number, Bill? The number of the saved. The church. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. That's the saved. That's the church. Verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day. It doesn't say that there were some whining around saying, why do we have to meet so much? They couldn't wait to get there. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What number, Bill? The number of the saved. The Lord added to the church every day those who were being saved. Saved. What a blessing it is for us to celebrate these recent baptisms that we've had with several of our young people over the last few months. We're the family of believers. We're the body of Christ. We're the pillar and foundation of the truth. We are the saved. The church is the saved. Jesus said upon this rock that I am the son of God. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will never prevail against it. I realize there's a lot of difficulties in our world today, in our community, in our state, in our nation, in our world. I get that. I get that. But disclaimer, if you don't want to hear how the story ends, then close your ears for a minute. We win. (laughs) We overcome. What is that exactly going to look like, Bill? I'm not sure about that. But I just know that we win. Why? How do you know that, Bill? Because Jesus built the church, the saved. And because he promised that the gates of hell will not prevail over us. We win. Not because we're so great. But because the one who bought us, who made us. Who instituted this great church. Because he is so great. 1 Corinthians 12 again, verse 13. By one spirit we are all baptized into one body. So as to form one body, the church is the saved. What does it mean that the church is the saved? Let me ask this question. Would the church in Jerusalem have recognized any difference at all between the saved and the church And their number? As you read through those early chapters of Acts, you realize that was a given for them. 
People were baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They were added to their number, the saved, the church. And that's who they recognized as it. The church is the saved. The church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the family of believers. The church is the saved. But here's the thing. When you talk about connecting with the culture without deleting the church... Here's our concern today. You can't delete something with which you're not yet connected. Are you connected with the church today? Are you connected with the Savior, with Jesus Christ? Do you feel like you're what we've talked about today? That group of people that is the pillar and foundation of the truth? That group of people that is the body of Christ, that's a family of believers? That group of people that are people who have been touched And forgiven by the blood of Christ because they have responded in faith to the gospel of grace. You can't delete something that you've never been connected with. And yeah, we don't want to delete the church. But my question today as we close, are you connected? Are you a part of that church? Are you a part of that group that is a pillar and foundation of the truth? Are you a part of that group that is the body of Christ or are you a part of that group that is the family of God a family of believers are you a part of the saved are you a part of the church if you're not we want you to be more than anything else more than anything else we want you to be a part of that are, are, are you saying the church is perfect, Bill? Oh no, far from it. That's why we have a Savior. We point to the one who is perfect. None of us is. But he is. And he gave his life on the cross for us. And now he tells you and he tells me, I want you to come to me just as you are. If you need to do that today, come as we stand. Sing our song together.
We're going to be closing today with a common love, something that we as the church all have together. A common love for each other, a common gift to pray with me. Father, we are so thankful to be here today. We thank you for this time that we have to come together as your church to study together and to worship you, and we pray that, that, that this worship service was pleasing to you. Father, as we leave here today, I pray that you bless each of us, watch over us, and keep us safe, and give, um, always give us opportunities to serve you and to be a light to others. Father, most of all, we thank you for your son who died on the cross for our sins, and, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.